0: Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable, board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, Joe Slack, and joining me today is Hafiz Printer. Hafiz is an educator and hobbyist game designer. He began designing games as a way to engage his students in history and continued down the rabbit hole from there. He formed Printer Inc. Games with his twin brother and are aiming to launch their second Kickstarter in 2023. Hafiz, thanks so much for being here on the Board Game Binge. Thanks
1: so much for having me, Joe.
0: Yeah, I was really excited to talk to you because we've known each other for a few years now. Uh, You came to my uh, Board Game Design Virtual Summit, my first one that I ran in 2020, Uh, joined my course and been very involved in um, like Q&A calls um, and other training sessions and that type of thing. And I've really enjoyed seeing your progression on uh, your games. Now you have multiple games on the go. And I I thought it would just be really interesting to have you on here and uh, bring you in front of the audience. and And you could talk about your board game journey.
1: Yeah. The summit was the thing that just sucked me down the rabbit hole. And you and I were joking about that before we hit record, but um, yeah, no board games have always been something that's been part of my life. When we were younger, we played games together and both my parents were accountants. So we didn't have like regular games. We had random games. Like there's a Canadian game called stock ticker where you roll dice, stock go up and down. And then sometimes you get a dividend that you have to like figure the math out to figure out how much money you get. Um, and so we were always interested in just random different kinds of games that were around, and then eventually I became a teacher. And I and I realized I was never a good student um, because I would get bored very easily, and I would just get distracted. And so I tried to always do the opposite of what I did uh, or what my teachers did when I was growing up. And so that was okay. How can I make the class active? How can I make it social? And games were a perfect way to merge both of those things together. Um, and it was a great excuse for me to go and buy a whole bunch of games because, like, I'm researching to learn how I can incorporate stuff into class. And um, so I started just making games here and there for my history classes. And one of them ended up sticking. And actually, that's one that I'm developing into a further game. And that's the one that actually brought us together, uh, Baghdad 1055. Um I was trying to make a game for a class to teach them about these really cool concepts like politics, and movements of people, and a lot of Game of Thronesy kind of things. But that would have been very boring for sixteen-year-olds you know, to sit there and read. So I'm like, why don't we get them to play it? And then every year I started to tweak it a little bit more, or find some, um, you know, common uh, Creative Commons art to add on, um, and changing it from a like cards that I just drew out to uh, something that looked a little bit nicer. Until finally. Um, my brother got me onto Kickstarter and then we were just like, well, maybe one day we can just make our own Kickstarter. And so I uh, started digging around and found out uh, about this gentleman named Joe Slack who had a course about this kind of stuff in a, in a summit. So I'm like, oh, let me take a look at that. And that kind of got me going. Uh, actually kickstarted it because I didn't, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just like, okay, I'm going to do bits and pieces here and there and kind of gauge your game against things like the ones everyone grew up with, Monopoly and stuff like that. But to see how much the hobby has grown, uh, and how many different ways you can approach and how much more people are looking for in games, I think was really helpful.
0: Awesome. And yeah, you talked about, uh, you know, teaching and trying to engage students with uh, with games. And it's something that uh, I think a lot of teachers are more uh, getting into, whether it's, you know, creating something on their own or bringing other games in, because uh, games can teach you so many things. It's about problem solving, competition, cooperation, um, math, language there's there's so many different things that can be incorporated there and I know I've I've helped um, some teachers as well uh, design games for their curriculum and my wife's a teacher and she brings in games to the classroom at, at different times depending on the age group she's at uh, so that's fantastic that you're bringing that um, love of games and you know it's it's great when you have kids that are learning something they don't realize they're learning something while they're you know playing something and, and enjoying so it's it's definitely great now I'm sure it's appreciated by your students uh, a more fun way to learn <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. Most of our job is just tricking them into learning. And So tomorrow I'm actually leading a session on how to bring escape rooms into the classroom in different ways. Um, And that whole idea, like you were mentioning, they they can learn so many different things. So in an escape room, you get to be a detective, you get to be an anthropologist, you get to be a sociologist and a historian and look at different documents and make sense of them and analyze them and synthesize them and do it with other people and then figure out, okay, of all this stuff that you've just collected, what is it that you now know about this? which is great. Like, what, and You're just taking what's in the textbook, chunk, chunking it into little sections and making it all random and weird so they have to figure it out. And the best part is, as a teacher, it's a lot of prep, but when it's going on, you're just sitting back and you're watching the kids stress out as they're trying to figure this out. And hopefully you have a little creepy countdown clock in the background and you have your clues in case they get stuck. And so it's it's just a fun experience for you as a teacher too, just to, to sit there and, and, well, not sit there, but like hang around there and watch as they're going through the process
0: absolutely and you were talking a little bit about uh kickstarter and and uh exploring kickstarter uh you worked on a project with your twin brother it wasn't exactly a game but it was definitely game related uh can you tell us a little bit about uh what that project was and how it went
1: yeah it's called malfunctioning and malicious magic items um so during the pandemic my brother started to get very much into D, and one of the things he found was as a dm there wasn't a lot of magic items that were broken. Uh, they were broken in the sense that they were maybe overpowered, but not in a cartoony acme it's going to backfire on the coyote kind of way. And he just thought to himself, in a world where there's all this magic, there has to be there has to be some items that just after a while stop working properly or, you know, apprentices are working on and they didn't get it just right. So, he decided to come up with a series of different items um and he, uh, by the end of the Kickstarter, I think it was like over a hundred items and he had some art from some really well-named people like Fluffy Folio and, um, and Loot Tavern. And it was just really fun because it partway through it became the crowd just coming up with different ideas. he so would poll everyone about like things that they would like to see and how they would want to do it. My favorite is there. there's a gin bottle, um, but it's, it's, if you rub this thing, it looks like a bottle of alcohol, but a drunk genie comes out um, and it will grant you wishes, but because he's drunk, it may, may not give you exactly what you want. Um, so there was a lot of tongue in cheek humor in there and we love, we love puns and we love those kinds of things. And so, um, we, we funded that. We learned quite a bit from that Kickstarter because it was a bit of a smaller one, uh, is mainly cards. There's a dice in there as well. And, um, it gave us more insight into the behind the scenes for a Kickstarter. Cause when you're developing things you're like okay well this is how everything over here is and then you get to that part and it's a lot of logistics and it's a lot of communication and a lot of um crowd management and people management uh, and that was something we weren't really expecting early on uh the non- the amount of interactions that you have with other people and you know a lot of them are positive some of them you know people start to get a little nervous where's my where's my um item that I, that I ordered from like beforehand. And so how do you deal with that? So I think that that was really, really good. It's going to help out because we're hoping to launch um, another game, a basketball game. That's also a card game uh, this upcoming year. It's roughly around the same size and specs for cards and box size and all of that. So I think we're in a really good standing for that now because we know what to do, what to expect for the most part. So now it's mainly just building up another audience who's interested in that.
0: Right. And are you glad that you started small with, you know, a small project that, that deck of cards to kind of get your feet wet uh, rather than having something big?
1: Oh yeah. We actually made a promise during the Kickstarter that we were going to do some box upgrades and we didn't realize how much some of those upgrades were going to be. Uh, And had it been, it was just, it, it took about like a thousand dollars off of, um, off of any profit that we would have made, but it, had it been a larger game, um, so Baghdad was one that is going to be a bit bigger, that would have been way more costly. So it's if we're going to make mistakes, we might as well do it with something small. Gotcha.
0: And yeah, you just mentioned Baghdad. So maybe I'd like to talk to you about like that and, and your basketball game. Uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about um, Baghdad 1055. Now, I've had the pleasure of playtesting this both um, in person and online. Uh, maybe you can share with the audience uh, what this game is about and how that one came to be.
1: Yeah, so this is the game that I made for my history class. And so um, this one was fun because I had to build it within certain constraints. I had to have it play within 45 minutes, be really quick to explain, um, easy to play so that I would have enough time afterwards to debrief with the the students. And so it is an area control game where you are playing as various empires in the Middle East about a thousand years ago. And you're trying to balance um, having influence by either expanding out, um, by building up, Um, by getting um, resources and money, um, and negotiating with one another. And so it's almost like a a lived what-if history from an educational point of view. They play the game, and then afterwards, when we read about it, it made sense. So sometimes when you read about history, it's like, well, why did this person stab so-and-so in the back? But when you play the game, it's like, you totally did that, because you thought they were going to stab you in the back, and you want to do it first. Um, And so it started off as just flip paper um, and printouts from PowerPoint. And then over time, it's slowly developed. And um, you know, early on, I was a little nervous to share it with other people. And and the moment that I did, it was great. So then I started to get real feedback about, well, what happens if someone takes this strategy? I think we played one time and you're like, well, what happens if I go to a corner and I just start building? Mm -hmm. Uh, And you did that. And then at the end, you just built up all your military in the final two turns and took over the rest of the board. Okay, I have to fix that. (laughs) <laughs> um, and so being able to put your idea in front of people and get feedback and just see how people would engage with it, I think was really good. And then it gave some really cool, interesting ideas for how to tweak the game, but still keep it true to itself. Cause I'm hoping that it's most area control games. If you want to play them, they're going to take you two, sometimes three hours. And I really wanted something that you can play in 45 minutes. So I can play with my friend groups that aren't hardcore gamers, but you want to you know, play something quick for under an hour. And, um, yeah, it's slowly developing. That one's been put on hold for a moment because it is a larger game. And uh, we're focusing now on the basketball one, which is much, much smaller because we do want to get a little bit more experience under our belt once we, once we do another Kickstarter for that one. And um, it's a little bit more of an easier sell for basketball, too, because Middle Eastern medieval history is like very niche. Um, and basketball anytime you're talking to whenever I tell people I have this basketball game and I show them some of the art they're like basketball so there's a little bit more of a built-in audience um, my brother's also secretly hoping that I'll make a D&D version of it too where there's like a wizard with a fireball as the basketball and things like that so we might try and cross over the two uh, projects at some point.
0: <laughs> very cool um so you said it's a it's a much smaller project the the basketball game that you're working on was that um one of the more deciding factors that you kind of put Baghdad 1055 off to the side and are focusing more on this or were there other reasons why you wanted to focus on uh this game in in particular
1: yeah a few reasons i think one is definitely um that it, that it's a smaller game. It's a little bit more manageable. Um, the other is that there's still a few things that need to be ironed out in Baghdad. And so I'm hoping that I can fix those pieces up, um, in the meantime, while we're working on the basketball game, um, the third ones I'm really excited about the basketball game. That one came around, um, when the world shut down, everything got canceled and I, I missed watching basketball. I missed doing fantasy basketball with my friends. And so, um, my partner and I was sat down and this is the first time where she was just like, let me help you make a game. And so there's a little bit of extra energy behind this one and excitement behind this one. And so I feel like that would carry me through my first campaign. Cause the other one was officially my brother's campaign. So he took most of the stress on. I was there for moral support. It's going to flip this time around. So I figured I should move in that direction with this one first. And um, yeah, so the, it's a combination of all of those.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So. What's been um, what was your biggest challenge then with um, Bag ten? Sorry, with Baghdad ten fifty five in either creating the game or you know trying to get things ready for for launch.
1: Yeah, I made every mistake that a new game designer can make when (laughs) uh, making that game. I paid for art before the mechanics were done, and now I have some art that's left over that I didn't need. I refused to show it to people to get feedback early on. Um, there were some glaring issues. And then I mentioned my brother, um, he helped me make it look a little bit snazzier. So it wasn't just paper and pen, but he'd never played and he started giving you know, like ideas for things that should be incorporated into the game. And I'm like, these are great. And I added them into the game, but without ever play testing them. And then when him and I sat down and played it for the first time, um, all of the things he suggested ended up biting him. While we were playing and then he was he was raving and ranting it's like what what why did you put this in here this is the dumbest thing and i was like this is this was your idea and so i've um, learned a lot about how to take feedback and suggestions to build into a game and being able to balance, okay, what is this going to help the gameplay? Should you test this out beforehand? Do you take all feedback and incorporate in your game or do you have to think about what feedback is helpful for your vision of the game versus what feedback is going to change the game into something else? And I think that was a really big learning that, you know, if someone's giving you feedback in the game, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to go change the entire game. And so learning how to take it as a more of a scientific approach, um, I'm going to change this one variable. I'm going to test to see how it goes a bunch of times. Did that work? Did that not work? Let me change another variable, um, see how that works. And I think that's really been helping to fine tune um, the playthrough for that as well as the basketball game. And we have a museum game that we're fiddling around with as well too. And so that's been really helpful for those.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it goes to show um, you might have great ideas for whether it's you know the initial game or how things might change, but it's not until you actually put it on the table and try it out and then you figure out, okay, this this really works, this functions or this, this doesn't work whatsoever. And, and then you got to go back to the drawing board and it just goes to show, like you were saying, trying one thing at a time. Um, one major change at a time, or even some minor, one minor change at a time sometimes is really helpful because otherwise you don't know what's working and what's not. If you change a whole bunch of things at once, unless maybe it's at a very, very early stage where you're like, yeah, we have to kind of overhaul this and and kind of try it in a different direction. So um, did you experience the same kind of things with, um, with your basketball game? And w- what is the name of your basketball game, by the way?
1: Yeah, it was, it was untitled up until quite recently. We did a oh, poll okay. in the Board Game Design Lab, and so it's now officially called Nothing But Net. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to be setting up a website for that one uh, soon so people can follow along with the progress. That one, um, that one started off really chunky and very mathy. It was supposed to simulate having a um, fantasy basketball league and drafting and all these different things, and it just wasn't working. It just wasn't fun. It felt like work. And so and there was one night when I just couldn't sleep and I was playing it over and over again in my head. I'm like, OK, well, what is it I like about basketball? It's quick. It's back and forth. Um, you can trash talk your friends. Um, anyone can play it. And so then I started to think, OK, well, you have these associations. So if someone can shoot well, someone can block, if someone can pass, someone can steal it. Maybe there's something I can do with that. And then that led to changing it from this big, larger game into a quick two person game. If you could try and get 21 points before your opponent just by playing down different cards and comboing different cards, then um, that, that might be kind of fun. And so my wife and I, we took out a whole bunch of blank cards and we did some, some drawings, which, which are terrible and hilarious at the same time. (laughs) Um, And we tested it out and it actually wasn't too, too bad. And um, my, my wife isn't very big into basketball. But she was able to kind of follow along with the gameplay without being confusing. I'm like, okay, it's a good sign if someone who's not into this is able to play it out um, and tested it with a few other friends and a few other designers and then bit by bit slowly adding certain things to it. So it's a light deck builder. And then at one point it's like, well, what happens if you are stuck with this one card and you can't do anything with it? Okay, we need to be able to do something with that. How can we build that into the mechanic versus just coming up with a rule that changes or gets rid of that. And so it was trying to figure out some of those smaller pieces of, well, what happens when there's this? Or if you combo these things and someone does that, then what do we do? Um, and taking the lessons from Baghdad uh, and, and doing the opposite. Didn't get any art until most of the mechanics were done. Tried to show it to a whole bunch of people and different kinds of people. And also people who are my demographic. So people who are inter- interested in basketball who can talk about the theme in ways they would like to see the theme incorporated a little bit more, Um, gauging, do people want to play it again? Because it's a quick 10, 15 minute game, if that. Um, And now we're in the graphic design stage. So thinking about, well, what does we want this to be? Well, we want it to be a quick travel game, something you can just take, say you're stuck at the airport and you want to kill half an hour, maybe 40 minutes, you can take it out. Well, now we need to reduce the components and the component size. And so one point there was four dice in the game and each one represented something different. Can we, can we narrow that down? So it's a single dice. And so just thinking through now, how, how does it fit the theme, but then how does it also fit the constraints of what we want it to be? Because if it's a travel game that has so many components that you can lose something or it takes forever to set up, people aren't going to play play it the way that we want them to play it. And so we're at that stage right now. And also thinking about cool things we can do with it. So fiddling around with round dice, just to have it tie into that theme of having a basketball and also having a component that's slightly different that might make it unique where someone will be like, oh, that's really interesting. I kind of want a game with a round dice. (laughs)
0: That's really cool. Yeah, you don't really see that very often. But yeah, thinking about those thematic uh, points and also kind of putting it on on the developer hat and saying, do we need everything here? Do we need all these dice? Can we pare it down? How can we make this uh, not just a great game, but also taking the next step and saying, how can this be a great product, Uh, which is something that not every um, game designer thinks about. Um, so were there any other considerations that you had when you're thinking about taking this from that point where like, hey, the game's playing really well thematically. Um, I'm thinking about the art. Um, are there any other considerations you had when you're thinking about how how do I make this the best product as well?
1: Yeah. So um, part of it was trying to take that theme as far as possible. And so one one of the things we're thinking of is making the lid of the box, the inside look like a basketball court. And so you can roll your dice in there and then down the line, depending on how things go, maybe we make a dice tower that shaped like a basketball net and you can roll it and just toss your dice in there and it ties back into the theme. Um, We it's a, it's a card and dice game. And so there is quite a bit of randomness that's in there. We try to tie the randomness to actual stats in basketball. And so if you roll a dice for a shot, you're shooting at roughly 50%. And so the dice gives you 50%, but it's really terrible when you roll a bunch of times when it's your turn and you get nothing. And so we thought, okay, where where are the highs and lows in this game? Emotionally, what makes someone feel good? What makes someone feel bad? And it sucks when you're playing and no matter what you do, you're getting, you're able to play the cards to give yourself a shot and you still can't roll something. So let's build in something into the game that can give the player some agency. So take that back. So there is some randomness, but you still have some control and we're like, well, what would that be in a basketball game? that would be the crowd possibly cheering you on. So we have a crowd card that's now in there and um, we're like, well, can we make, can we add a little bit of strategy to that? So maybe you could play that on yourself to re-roll um, to give yourself a better chance, or maybe they're booing your opponent and you can play it on them. And now they have to re-roll something that they made, but you only have a limited number of these. So you're trying to think through well, how am I going to do that? And then um, thinking about in basketball, like, there's there's a the saying that you can like dip into your bag of tricks and you can pick out something special for yourself can we play into that so there's certain unique cards but only one player will be able to get them and so it's part of their bag of tricks and then is there a catch-up mechanism so if you are starting to fall behind we wanted all the games to be pretty close within three maybe max four points um how can how can there be a catch-up mechanism so if you're falling further and further behind Um, maybe you're starting to learn um, and adapt your game. And so that allows you to actually draft more cards into your hand and you can decide if you want to add more defense or offensive ones. So it gives you more of a chance to try and catch up. And for the most part, most of our games are uh, within three to four points for the most time, two to three points. So it's quite down to the wire, um, which is, which is pretty fun. Oh, Oh, sorry. One more thing. Sorry to cut you off. Um, Hmm. The, the other thing we were thinking about was representation in the game. And so um, the cards and the card art, we're making sure that there's diversity in there. So there's both um, males, females in the game. We have different um, abilities in the game. And it's actually based on friends that my brother and I have that we play basketball with. We did growing up. So um, there's one player that has um, a um, um, a cockle, cochlear implant. And you can see it in the, in the image. There's one that has... A, um, I forget what it's called, but for their leg, they have that uh, um, prosthetic that's shaped like a curve. There's a specific name and I'm blanking on it. And so we're showing that anyone can play basketball, whether you're playing it as a card game or you're playing it um, uh, in real life. And so we, that was something that my brother and I talked about early on. How can we have different peoples that look like us, the people that we play basketball with and our friends begin the game. And our, our artist was really great. He's like, well, if you have pictures of your friends, we can put them in the game. <laughs> um, and it helps him because it helps him figure out the the drawings. And so, Joe, if you want to be in the game, we we <laughs> can put you in the game. You just need to let us know what action you would want to be. So if you want to be dunking over James, for instance, we can have that in there.
0: Well, I'm not much of a basketball player, so I'd probably be the player laying on the ground with like the sprained ankle or something like that. I, so if we, can, a character we can make like that, you an
1: injured card. We can put you, totally put you in there.
0: <laughs> I don't know if you want me in there, but <laughs> it's um So, one of the other things you talked about too um, at the start of designing this game, it sounded like it was a little bit more of um, a simulation, um, mm. more, more than a game. Uh, so, I want to dive a little bit more into that and as we know, games are um, abstractions of real life. And sometimes as we're designing them, we have to take some things out that might be a real aspect uh, of that. Like, you know, maybe basketball, there's, you know, lots of timeouts and free throws and things like that. But maybe that's not as exciting in the game. So were there, were there certain things that you... Um, figured out that we're like, yeah, this is part of basketball, but it it it's going to make the game slower or not as much fun. So it's better to take that out, even if it takes a little bit of the quote unquote, like realism out.
1: Yeah, we had a, um, we had a card. So again, it's a lot of counter cards and reaction cards to one another. And we found that there was one reaction card that you could pick up, but it was very like a lot of the other ones were multi-purpose. So this one was very specific. And so if you picked it up and the other player just didn't manage to play the thing that you were hoping for, you're stuck with this card in hand and you have a hand limit, so it's, it's now taking up space. And so we realized that we needed to actually take that uh, out, maybe make that a specialty card in the game. So now there's just one of them and you can play that at any point in time. Um, the other thing was we had a card that was way too overpowered. We had a dunk card. And um, we had even numbers of cards in there, and somehow, whenever I was playing with my wife, when we made the first prototype, I would always get the dunk card and I'd play it, and it's automatically two points. There's nothing you can do to stop it. And she was she was very frustrated that that kept happening to her, and so she suggested, you know, reducing it or taking it out of the game. And then um, did that, brought it to Protospiel North, and there was a single one in there. And then the feedback was add it back in. Um, and so we tried to balance to figure out well, how could that work and so now it's a one-time use card so there's there's a few of them in the deck you can play it but you can only play it once and it gets burnt and it's out so you don't have this unfair advantage of it continually cycling through your deck and you're always going to get those two points and so there was a bit of fine-tuning on some and then we had an equal number of cards for everything early on and we had these massive decks so now we're just trying to trim them down and think about well what are the cards that we want to come up a little bit more often what are cards we want to come a little bit less so that balance that balancing um is taking place right now, and my brother likes um uh Excel. I do not know why, feel free to judge him for it, but it's coming in handy at this point in time because he's made this huge graph thing tracking our play tests and tracking the card, the cards, and when they come up and how often they come up. Um, And so it's helping us to actually fine tune which cards should we pull out, which should there be more. of, And actually, it's going to help us with production as well, too, because we've reduced the number of cards we need to produce. So it's going to be a bit cheaper and it's giving us some um, flexibility for some of our stretch goals. We want to get um, the community to suggest things that can be added into the game for cards or for additional art or something like that. And so now we actually have extra room to add those in without having to add additional costs for when we're doing manufacturing.
0: oh that's very cool. So I mean you've worked on a number of games now um and you, you mentioned you know a museum game that you're also working on so obviously you know you' you've been bitten by the bug uh the game design bug you once you start one you want to you want to you know make all the games um So in and amongst this uh what has you're learning about designing games? taught you about yourself through this process
1: yeah i the being part of the community i think was the biggest piece and just seeing how how caring and how supportive the community was for one another um you know sometimes you can be a a bit guarded about your ideas or things that you're doing um I remember at one point in time at one workplace, I was at someone taking credit for a few of my ideas. And so then you start to get these walls up. And in this space, it's like, no, share everything. It's better if you share, because if you share, then someone tries to take your thing and then everyone else can be like, well, this, this was his beforehand. And you get some great feedback. And, um, you know, during the pandemic, that's when I started to, to dive more into this. So just building out more friendships. And I've actually found that it's impacted, the way i'm in my day-to-day life so i i am more positive now and i'm more positive with people in person in my workplace where if someone's got an idea i'm like that's great let's talk through and i'm i'm more open to accepting feedback and constructive criticism in other parts and other aspects of my life not just game design and so i found that through this hobby and, and being able to be creative and that's one of the other pieces being a, a creative in this space lets me be more creative in outside spaces but um I'm seeing that it's not something that's just, you know, uh, isolated and okay, you're working and you're doing your hobby over here and then here's the rest of your life. But this is influenced and impacts my my full life and has impacted by my whole life. So um, the reason that we're making a museum game is because I worked at a museum for a little while. And so it's like, oh, let's let's do that. A lot of our games are just based on things that we are interested in, my brother and I.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, definitely having a thick skin or developing a thick skin um, is important as, as a game designer and we all kind of have to, we can't be you know defensive. We all have to be uh, able to take feedback. And I think that's a, that's a great thing to be able to do kind of in general in life and work um, in relationships um, and and not get defensive, but say, yeah, maybe you know, maybe there's something to that. Um, I have to learn from this. I can you know do this better, create this better. Um, and just being open to to other people's feedback and suggestions is fantastic.
1: Yeah. And, and as a strange aside, it's helped me be a better teacher because I bought so many games over the last little while and I'm trying to support other uh, indie board game creators. So if there's someone who's getting their game on Kickstarter, I'll, I'll order it. Um, now I'm getting better at explaining rules. And so that's helping me better when I have to do uh, instructions and things that work. Cause it's like, okay, tell them who they are and tell them why they care and now set up the scene and like, I can do that in everyday work life too, and so my instruction skills have gotten better just by playing games with other people, which is really fun.
0: That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, definitely as a game designer, you have to be able to teach your games really well, and you're learning a bunch of other games, so you kind of become the de facto um, rule learner within your group, <laughs> and that that's fantastic that you've been able to apply that in you know day to day life as well, because um, you know communication and being able to explain things so important, so important. Is there anything else we should know about um, Baghdad 1055 or um, or Nothing But Nets um, and how people can find out more about uh, either of these games?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're going to be officially launching a Printer Ink Games website um, at the start of the new year in January. And so on there, we're going to have a, a landing page for Nothing But Net as well as for um, Baghdad 1055. Baghdad has its own website at the moment. It's Baghdad 1055, the game com And then uh, if anyone watching is also into D&D, um, you can still late pledge for my brother's malfunctioning and um, malicious magic items on Kickstarter. Um, and that, one, that one's going to be fun. We're planning on expanding that out to into a book that goes deeper into the lore and then starts going into things like riddles and traps and stuff like that as well, just to ease into the theme. Uh, so that's going to be what we're doing after Nothing But Net.
0: Oh, very cool. Lots of projects on the go. So yeah, make sure to uh, to check those out. Hafiz, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you as always. And thanks so much for being part of the Board Game Binge.
1: Great chatting with you, Joe. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge podcast. Guest hosted by Joe Slack. Produced by James Daly and Mike Bruner. With original music by Nick Smith. If you'd like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our Instagram channel, Board Game Binge Podcast you'll get notifications of live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. We can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.